Well, good evening, everyone. If you don't know me, my name's Matt, and I'm one of the ministers here at Helensburg and Stanwell Park Anglican Church. If you're new or visiting us this evening, I want to welcome you here. Uh, we have been looking at the Psalms leading up to Easter, and we are doing so over this Easter period. And we have called this series the Messianic Psalms. Uh, and tonight we are looking at Psalm 22 and how this psalm gives us more insight into the death of Jesus Christ. To begin, I'd like to tell you a story about one of my most vivid memories of when Atticus was only a few days old. I had the job of trying to keep him awake while Ella was feeding. What happened was Atticus, like quite um, a lot of babies, would uh, drink for a little bit, feed for a little bit, and then fall asleep. And then wake up a few minutes later, drink for a little bit, and fall asleep. And wake up, and drink, and fall asleep. And every time he woke up, he was hungry. And so we were told that potentially he was not getting enough food. Not getting adequate nutrition as a newborn baby can be a life or death situation. So I was told I was responsible for keeping him awake. So the first thing I tried was tickling him, but this didn't seem to do anything. And so the next thing I tried was a damp cloth. It was summer, and I think just, this just cooled him down. It was quite nice. And so finally, I tried an ice block. And that seemed to work. Using an ice block on his back and on his feet woke him up. But unexpectedly and unfortunately for me as a new father, he did not wake up happy and wanting to feed. He woke up crying and screaming. And with tears in his eyes, even though he was only a few days old and he could not speak, I knew exactly what he was saying to me. With those tears in his eyes, it was as if he was saying to me, Why are you punishing me? Why have you forsaken me? I was the one who was meant to be protecting him. I was the one who was meant to care for him, to love him, to be there for him through everything. Now, as a father and as a parent, there is no limit to what we will do for our children. And I do not believe there is a time or a place when you would forsake your own child without causing you as much, if not more, pain than it would your own child. Tonight, we look at how the will of the Father is accomplished through the death of his Son, Jesus Christ. We will be looking at Psalm 22 to help us understand and give us context to the words spoken by Jesus as he hangs on the cross and cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we shall see that Jesus, God's Son, dies on the cross. He, he fulfills his Father's will for our sake and for the sake of the world. Please bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, you have spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past. But in these days, you have spoken to us 
in your Son, the incarnate Word. We pray that through your Spirit, we may hear your Word clearly this evening, that we might know and love Jesus more. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. And David wrote this psalm about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And David was God's anointed king. He was chosen by God and was given promises that defined the type of kingship that God would initiate through him. The promises of God that God makes to David is of a kingdom that will last forever. And they're found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he says these words to David. God says, your house and your kingdom shall be forever. It will be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So David trusts in the promises of God by remembering the character of God and the fact that God does not change. And his prayer, the words that were we heard from Psalm 22 are of him pouring out his deepest feelings to God, to the God whom he trusts more than anything else in this world, who he trusts more than any situation he finds himself facing and any uncertainty in this world. And it is this trust that we find displayed in Psalm 22. Now, I don't know if you noticed when this psalm was read to us, but David cries out in desperation three times. On three separate occasions, he cries out, What about me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? But what's significant and what highlights David's trust in God is that after every cry of desperation, he stops and he reminds himself that God has a bigger plan. He says, yet you. And he turns his attention to God and reminds himself that the Lord is in control. This contrast informs us of how David deals with the uncertainties and difficulties in his life. Rather than turning away from God, David deliberately reminds himself of the promises God has made to him and the ways that God has demonstrated his trustworthy character to him. In this psalm, David reminds us that God's purpose will prevail despite what is going around on around us so we see that he is feeling forsaken by god he is feeling despised by people he is feeling trapped by his enemies but he knows that even though this is what he is facing he can remember that there is more going on there is a bigger picture because there is a big God at work, the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who cast the stars into the sky, the God who has made promises and who continues to keep his promises just as he has done in the past, is the only one 
worthy of our trust. So even though David cries out these words to the Lord in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Even though David cries these words, he stops and remembers how God has acted throughout history. He says in verse 3, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And so every time David is weighed down in his own experience, in his own desperation, in his feelings of abandonment and desertion, he stops and he remembers and he turns to God. And above all else, he trusts in God's sovereign plan. And in this contrast, where David highlights how the things that are seen and felt are not necessarily the same as what is going on behind the scenes, he reminds us that God has a greater plan. And so David does not give up on God, and in his desperation directs us to see that whatever is happening in his life, there is a God who is there. And the same applies for us. Whatever is happening in our lives, there is a God that is there for us. There is a God who is saving David from the mouth of the lion. And there is a God that is saving us from the mouth of the lion. There is a God who is rescuing David from the, the horns of the wild oxen. And there is a God who is rescuing us from the horns of the wild oxen. The same God that was at work in David's life, is still at work in our lives today. And so just as David does, we can see this unique contrast between what is seen and what is felt, what is assumed to be happening in the here and now, and what is actually going on behind the scenes. We can be privileged to know and understand God's greater plan. Like David, we can trust in God's promises. We can trust in his character, that he does not change. And we too can trust that he has done it all. And he has done all that's needed to save us and to rescue us. And the second half of this psalm concludes with David declaring praise and confidence that God will hear and act. David confirms that God will fulfill his promises as, and as he promised, God will save and rescue his people. David goes on to explain that God's salvation is not just for him. It's not just for his family. It's not just for the Israelites, but that it extends to include all the nations. And then he says, not just all the nations at that time, but all the nations throughout history. David reminds us of this promise by declaring these words found in verse 27. He says, 
All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Salvation is not just for one generation, not for the nation in David's time, but rather it includes those who have died and for those who have not yet been born to the generations past and the future generations. Now you may think to yourself, how can this be? How can there be a kingdom that is eternal? One that is for all people for all times. One that's for everybody. How can this be? This kind of kingdom and this kind of salvation can only be achieved by an eternal God. While this psalm is written by David and portrays his life experience, there is no question that this psalm is even more true of Jesus as he hangs on the cross. Jesus, God's son, deliberately, consciously, chooses these words found here in Psalm 22 to describe his agony but not only his agony, but his future reign and kingship that will achieve everything described by David in Psalm 22. The words that Jesus cries out in Psalm 22 are also found in the book of Mark and in the account of Jesus' death here. Let me read from you from Mark chapter 15, started, starting in verse 33. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew exactly what was taking place as he hung on the cross. And we know this to be the case because time and time again, he 
told us so. Time and time again, he explained to his disciples through his ministry and through his teaching that that's what he was going to do. On one occasion, in Mark chapter 10, while Jesus is with his disciples and they're on their way to Jerusalem, he says this, he says, See, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus is speaking about himself when he explains to his disciples, he is going to be killed. And during the Passover feast in Mark chapter 14, Jesus describes to his disciples how the bread is his body and the wine is his blood. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many going on to describe that he will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when he will drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling his disciples what is about to happen. What is about to happen to him on the cross. But he also tells them he will not stay on the cross. He will not stay dead, but he will rise again and drink again in the kingdom of God. And so it shouldn't surprise us that before he is handed over to be killed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays these words. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. As he prays this, he is explaining to us that what is about to happen was the will of the Father which Jesus knew and Jesus accepted. He has accepted the Father's will and that the reason God sent his Son was to take on human form and was to die. And Jesus, as he's led to his death, experiences the same form of despair as David did in this psalm in Psalm 22, Jesus is seized by those who hate him. People you might describe as being like dogs. He is surrounded by bull-headed people. They are like the ravening and roaring lion, just as Jesus, David describes them in Psalm 22. Jesus' hands and feet are pierced. His garments are divided among them, and they cast lots for his clothes just as we heard in Psalm 22. Jesus is mocked by those who walk past. They call out, save yourself and come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot even save himself, just as we heard of the mocking in Psalm 22. Everything that Jesus experienced in lead up to his death was in accordance to his Father's will. And in fulfillment of the Old Testament and in fulfillment of Psalm 22. To the point where on the cross Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at this point we are to remember that what is happening in the here and now is not actually 
what is going on behind the scenes. Jesus, in his despair, when he feels he is forsaken, trusts in his Father's will and demonstrates his awareness of God's greater plan. Jesus trusts in God's promises, in his character, that he does not change. And as he trusts, he does what is needed for us to be saved, for us to be rescued. And the weight of our sin, the wrath of God that was destined for us, is placed on Jesus. Our punishment, what we all deserve, was once and for all time paid by Jesus. He dies without sin in order to save his people from sin. He bore our sins on the cross, the wrath of God that was destined for me, the wrath of God that was destined for you. God's wrath, which Paul describes in Romans as God's anger, God's righteous judgment that was directed towards us, was placed on his son. The price was paid 2,000 years ago on that cross, and Jesus became the sacrifice for us, the lamb that was slaughtered. He gave his life as a ransom for many, and through him, God did what was needed for us to be saved. And we have this symbolism of darkness that fell over the earth, showing us that God along with all creation, mourned at what happened to God's Son. The pain is real. The despair is devastating. But Jesus knows what is happening. He knows that he is bearing our sin, bearing our curse in his own body on the tree. Jesus' pain and anguish is devastating. He feels the condemnation of his own heavenly father on himself. But he still trusts God. And we know this because he cries out from Psalm 22. And by using the words of Psalm 22, Jesus wants us to realize that there is a contrast between what is assumed to be happening when he's hanging on the cross, and what God is achieving behind the scenes. Jesus trusts his life into his Father's hands, and the Father, through the death of his Son, reconciles to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And the symbolism of the curtain being torn from top to bottom in the temple, attests to the fact that he has done it. He has enabled us free and open access to the Almighty God. And now there is peace through the blood of the cross because he has paid the price. And because we can come into the presence of the Almighty God, calling him Father... Jesus can cry out in his last breath, It is finished. 
Or as David says in Psalm 22, he has done it. And upon seeing all this, we're told that there's a centurion who says, truly, this man was the Son of God. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will never know the depths of his agony. As followers of Jesus Christ, we will never know the pain that Jesus went through on the cross. As for me, I will never know the depths of his agonies, the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross. As for those of you here tonight who believe that on that cross he bore the punishment for your sins, for our sins, you will never know the pain, that suffering, because he experienced it on our behalf. And that, that is why it's called Good Friday, because Jesus took our place. He did what no one else could do. He atoned for our sins. He took the punishment for our sin. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. It is finished. He has done it. Have you considered what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago on that cross? Have you considered the cost? What it meant for God to send his son to die for us? David says these words in Psalm 22. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. We are the afflicted. But we can have confidence to come before our Heavenly Father and trust the saving work of his Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We too can be satisfied and sing praises to the Lord that our hearts might live forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that while we were still powerless, Christ died for us. That we would never know the pain of being forsaken by you because he experienced it on our behalf so that we might be called your children. Thank you that the blood he shed was the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.